Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Nate with a quick word to the wise before we get started here. We taped this podcast on Monday, March 9th. That was before we knew that NASCAR would not be racing for the next eight weeks. That was before we knew NASCAR would postpone the next seven races on the schedule. None of that really pertains to the conversation that you're about to hear with Parker Clearman, but I just want you to know that ahead of time because we're not going to be mentioning anything about current events that in the interim have pretty much engulfed all of the NASCAR world, not so much the esports world, which again is the topic of this episode, but just wanted to give you a heads up that this was taped before a lot of things that have happened in NASCAR since we did this podcast. But nonetheless, hope you'll enjoy it. It's about esports and iRacing, and Parker Kligerman, as always, does a great job, so enjoy. Welcome to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Back again here with our NASCAR and NBC analyst, Parker Kligerman, but really I should refer to you today as co-team owner, Ooh. Parker Kligerman. How interesting. Burton Kligerman Esports. As yes. It says right there You're right here on, the on your yeah, yeah. Andy logo there. I actually didn't even think about wearing this at a time and then <laughs> really? just, just put it on and then we would, I realized we were doing this this morning. I was like, oh wait, what good timing. I, I thought this was totally by design. I know, no, no, no. I wish I was that This smart. was your savvy sponsor, Team yeah, Promotions. Team right Promotions. <laughs> okay, so as I mentioned, Parker is a co-team owner in the eNASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing Series. Did I get that right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, year two for Burton Kligerman Esports and we had Parker on last year as somewhat of an iRacing primer. NASCAR America was broadcasting a few of uh, the iRacing races last year, we did the finale, which was tremendously well-received. All of the races were, were well-received on NBCSN. Talked about like what it all means with you before, Parker. This time, we, I wanted to have you on to talk about year two for your team, because yep. you guys have not only have you won a race already this year through two races as we speak here today, uh, you already had a win from... Ashton Crowder in the Fontana race. You've also got some big news with sponsorships and everything happening in year two. So tell us what's going on for Burton Kligerman Esports. Yeah, so well, first of all, we'll start with the series. The series brought on Coca-Cola as a title sponsor. Peak left, Peak Antifreeze. Um, and, you know, they'd been a part of it for years. And I think the, uh, you know, the trajectory of the series and things and how long they'd been in esports, uh, it opened up an opportunity for someone like Coca-Cola to come in. So that was really cool. It was a big name to put on top of the series. Uh, this year we have 20 teams, so the, the full team roster is filled out this year, whereas last year it was around 16 teams. Um, so there's only 20 teams allowed. We filled it out. Um, and for Burton Clingman Esports, we actually brought in our first corporate partner of this magnitude, Valvoline, uh, which was incredible. I worked on it for months. You know, the reason they came into it is they 
obviously esports is a big topic these days, that sort of thing. And I had had a little bit of relationship with them beforehand, and this came about. And I'd always been a big fan of Valvoline cars growing up. You know how good they look, the paint schemes and everything. And I said, yeah. man, it would be so cool to have those as our cars. And it sure essentially enough, it, looks just like the Mark Martin number six. Well, from, a little bit, but heyday, we, right? yeah, yeah. Well, we did like a little techie V's, flying V's, I call them, okay. uh, where all the V's are going up, and that was kind of our spin on it a little bit um, in the esport realm. So really cool. They've been great work with and just a lot of fun, and they really are seeing the benefits and the, and kind of become fans of it as well. Um, and then we went out and won the second race of the season with Ashton Crowder. We led the most laps between both our drivers. Logan Clampett led a ton at the beginning. He unfortunately got involved in a wreck, and then Ashton kind of took the reins and in an incredible duel won the race. Um, and that was just huge. So uh, we're now tied for the points lead, although we get the points lead off the with Ashton off a tiebreaker of having a win. And in the team championship, we're fourth. So it's been a great start for us, really cool for the series. And the viewership this year has been insane across Twitch, YouTube, uh, enascar.com, um, and Facebook. Uh, the first two races of the season have averaged somewhere around 180,000 people that tuned in live. That's a lot. Um, yeah. And the craziest statistic to me, what people, when we start to break down the numbers, are shocked by is the average time a person views for. So, you know, in the internet, unlike TV, there's a lot of calculation obviously can be done per each viewer. And you often find yourself sort of like, across the different stream uh, stream entities, finding that they all rate it differently. But one of the things that really sticks out across all of them is the retention time. So we've seen average viewers of like 19 minutes per viewer, uh, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. So in the internet world, that is right. like, that might as well be That's years. like if, I mean, I know from working for a website, it's not just website traffic or page views, it's how long are they reading the page. So yep. if they're on watching 20 minutes of an iRace, that's I mean, is that something you go to Valvoline with and say, hey, this oh, is, yeah. and they say they're eye-popping numbers? Yeah. Exactly. So we put a whole report together after each race and, and you know, sort of to give some sort of numbers to all this uh, because I was actually in a conference in London a couple weeks ago about esports and this guy who's, uh, I believe he's the CFO of one of the largest esports teams in the world said 87.6% of all statistics in esports are made up. And facts. So <laughs> when you can put concrete numbers to it, um, it's a great thing. And, and we've been able to do that. So it's been really cool. So who said it was fabricated? Uh, he, he worked for Fnatic, which is one of the largest esport teams in the world. Oh, but okay. it was basically a joke to say it's so it's the Wild West. Yeah, you know, when you yeah. and I, I actually think for what we're doing, one of the things I know it says it in our logo, in our team name, I don't even like the word esports anymore. Because I kind of think of traditional esports as trying to do something different. We're e-motorsports. We're trying to help a sport that already exists build a base and gain a new audience and be exposed to people that can never be exposed to it on a competitive level. What they're trying to do in real esports, you know, shooters, that sort of thing, they're trying to make the next NASCAR, the next NFL. We're not trying to do that. So as you mentioned, two cars, Logan Clampett in the number 99 Valvoline, uh, yeah. Ashton Crowder in the number 77 Valvoline. I, just curious real quick. Obviously, 99, that was Burton's number yep. when he drove Cup. 77, is that? It was my number in ARCA, uh, okay. and I've always had a thing for sevens, and it comes from my grandpa, who was a, his favorite number is seven. And some of my most successful years, I've always been in a car that had sevens, so 77 was a a number it meant a lot to me. And both of these guys are obviously like, hey, you guys are the ones who actually drove in the NASCAR Cup Series. <laughs> we'll take whatever numbers you're giving us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, as team, uh, we own those numbers. So yes. just like real life, those are our numbers. We own them. So if the if we changed drivers, but they're in for the full year, um, you know, then it would obviously we'd keep the number. 
So let's talk a little more about the, the Valvoline part of this, Parker, and that I'm sure it has felt like some validation here that they get the win in race number two, but obviously iRacing is fairly uncharted territory here, a little bit of a Wild West type frontier type thing. Were they viewing this kind of as an experiment for them to see if they, you know, they want to dip their toe in first and then go big later if it works? And how did you go about pitching them and, <laughs> and saying, hey, you don't just want to sponsor a real world car. I've got the right virtual stock car for you. Funny story of how I decide. How I even thought to reach out to them. There was I have a hat that's an old Valvoline racing hat uh, that a friend of mine gave me from like private nineties, and it sits in my office. And it was I was looking at it and I was thinking about this was back in August of last year, maybe September, and I was thinking about hey companies that we should reach out to to get involved with this, and it was sitting right there. And I thought, hey, I know those guys. I love those guys. Like they're great people. I talk to them all the time. I'm reaching out to them, see if they're interested. And it just led to a conversation. Eventually, they, they decide to come on board. And I think they do view it as an experiment, right? They they want to be involved in esports, but for so many companies out there, your shooter games are just not something they're interested in putting their brand on. But having something like this that's in the esport realm, yet it's motorsports, it's something that they're traditionally in. They understand. Uh, it's a really easy, consumable thing to say, yeah, we'll support that and see how this goes and see what we get out of it. And so uh, our job then is to continually prove that they're getting value out of it. And then secondly, you know, one of the big reasons, and I think we stressed this last year, but the reason we brought teams in, because I think people have a tough time with that concept, is that it's about our job as a team is twofold. We are there to promote and build the series and use our followings and the people that uh, – you know, don't know this exists, to tell them it exists, and then two, to bring in companies like Valvine who can do the same thing, to mag- you know, to basically amplify our message. So, you know, they're, they have a role as well in the ecosystem of saying, hey, we want to continue to amplify that this is happening, this is a thing that young kids are getting involved in, young people are getting uh, to a competitive level in motorsports, which has never been able to be done. You know, it's such a high, a high barrier of entry to motorsports. So they're helping us amplify that message that this exists. Like you said earlier, to differentiate between e-motorsports versus e-sports, sounds like that's kind of the the Valvoline decision to get involved. It yeah. kind of illustrates that, that they just had more comfort with, we're not going to go sponsor some shoot 'em up game or something. I don't even... Yeah, Fortnite I'm, or... I'm in my 40s, Call man. I don't know what yeah. e-sports are, <laughs> aside from what I've seen on cable television um, and this. I don't um, think... I think there's a lot of people in the world that don't know what it is. So <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's been around for so long. But what's happened in the last, I'd say, five, six years, seven years maybe, is that it's gotten far more professional, right? That's what's happened. For, for racing leagues in, you know... Sim racing have been around for as long as there's been sim racing. I've been doing them forever. But nothing of this level has truly existed with this much support and people involved and people trying to, you know, amplify the message and, and expand the, the following of it. Um, it just hasn't existed. In traditional esports, you know, it was very much the same thing. It was very grassroots. It was very much small entities that were doing this and putting on tournaments and that sort of thing. And people came together as they realized it was a game more popular and said, all right, let's make this more professional. And that's where I think esports has seen the big uh, rise in national consciousness. And as you said, there's a rise in eNASCAR as well. You guys have expanded to 20 entries and yep. some big names. You are in your second year with Jeff Burton. Steve Wittard is in his second year with the team. But this year you've got uh, new teams with Denny Hamlin, yep. Kyle Larson, William Byron, all cup drivers, of course, all now owners in the uh, iRacing series. Uh, what, what do you think it's meant to have those kinds of names be attached to it big and you know the owner thing is funny so um 
what I love about what iRacing did, and Steve Myers did a great job doing this, and it was something I really wanted to be, uh, you know, a couple years ago I wrote this thing about basically what the perfect eSport uh, series would be, right? Um, and it was built off the back of what this used to be, which was just a the, the highest level driver world championship for iRacing. And I said, you know, at the time, there just wasn't, you know, unfortunately, there wasn't a ton of ways for them to expose more people to it. And bringing in teams, as I said, was brought in to amplify that message, to bring more people to know it's happening. And so when you get people like Denny Hamlin and Kyle Larson and William Byron, that just continually sort of validates that, right? And the other thing that's really interesting to me is I was just doing the numbers. There's 13 owners of the 20 that don't own a real race car in NASCAR. So and that probably is, never will. <laughs> and maybe right? never will. Yeah. And you have, I think it's somewhere around six or seven who don't own a real race car at all, right? Maybe eight. So you start to think about that and you start to realize, wait, this is like, we're expanding outside the motorsports esport or motorsports ecosystem to people that have would never be involved in motorsports at the level of being an owner, yet this allows them to do it and it's fun, it's something they can promote and be excited about and promote motorsports and NASCAR to a base that never would have touched it before. So what I look at that's the most interesting to me is teams like G two esports. Uh, Williams F one team is there. You know, like to me that is just that's something that iRacing did that was so smart because it gets it outside the ecosystem. Uh, when I was in London, one of the, the speakers was the head of the F1 esports league, and that is only F1 teams. I think you know one of the things I've always wanted for them is to be like open that up. Like I would definitely try to go there, and I would definitely try to do that because right now those teams, ten F1 teams, are shouting at the same people that already watch F1 because right. they follow them. How are you going you know how do you get to that other set of people that don't know this exists and don't know it's a thing without bringing in people that are from outside the ecosystem. So I think it's something really smart that iRacing did, and it's really cool to have Kyle Larson and Denny Hamlin and William Byron, but it's also really cool to have these teams that just have nothing to do with NASCAR and now are involved. And I think, you know, one of the things that the sport's been talking a lot about is where do the next owners come from in the real stuff? Where are they, where are they going to come from? Maybe some of these guys, I guess, maybe would you make never that know. transition. You right? never know. That this, if that they way, make yeah. enough partnerships and they're doing the right things and it builds up and they make they seem to – see the the path and the financials of the real stuff gets yeah. better provided might, it comes down from 20 to 30 yeah whatever whatever yeah. it is but <laughs> yeah. you you get right. the idea of saying you you just don't know so yeah. i think it gets more people involved in the level of of being an owner that could potentially one day be a real owner and i think the other thing with these three new names not so much kyle larson but certainly denny hamlin and william byron both have an authenticity to them getting involved with iRacing because yep. of course william byron pretty much started his auto racing career in iRacing. Yeah. He's the one everybody talks about. About Then you were one of the first people on this train, Parker, that, hey, people can start in iRacing and transition to real-world driving. And then people don't realize it, but Denny Hamlin essentially had that as well. He was essentially spotted by Dale Jr. Uh, racing in an iRacing league in 2004, like when mm -hmm. it's virtual infancy. And it's interesting to me that Hamlin, of course, has the relationship with Michael Jordan, and he's got the Jumpman Nike-type branding on his cars. So you talk about expanding your horizons there. I mean, he got Michael Jordan to design his race cars. He was yeah. talking about this on the NASCAR NBC podcast a few weeks ago when we had him on. So that's got to be big, right? Yeah, and I know how involved Michael Jordan is. 
because uh, oh, yeah. That's yeah, right. I forgot about we might have story. been involved in some negotiations, <laughs> and uh, I found out that one of the pitches to uh, a driver they were pitching at was that, they, that he could meet Michael Jordan, and I was like, I can't compete with that. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's like Jeff and I. I mean, we're cool. We're really cool, but uh, yeah, you haven't won six NBA championships. No, I'm not no. Michael Jordan. So <laughs> I think that that was a tough one. But I, yeah, exactly. So like that is a thing that I, I just can't get over how cool that is. That. You you know you just brought someone in because it's not the massive undertaking of having a real race team, and frankly, real race teams right now, as a business decision, are are not a very viable business decision, as we all know. So this is allowing people to be involved in the sport, just like the young drivers that we're hoping, and the people that are actually racing the series, that are hoping to one day maybe parlay it into a real car. This is the same thing on the ownership side. These are people that would just have no possibility of being having a real car, yet here they are competing at the highest level of this because it makes sense. Somewhat of an unfair advantage, though, when you're competing against a guy uh, who has that kind of connection. <laughs> have there been other examples like this? I mean, I know this is essentially your first experience as a team owner, so you can't really compare it to real world, but that to me sounds like something that in the real world, a Rick Hendrick or a Roger Penske might be able to outbid another team owner because they can offer business to business stuff that other team owners can't. Yeah. Are you experiencing anything <laughs> like that as you go after sponsors and get more competitive? I mean, you're, I guess, one of the first ones to actually get a sponsor, but yeah. like, you know, what, what do you see developing there? Um, I, I think it's so much in the infancy of it, yeah. you know, and, and a lot of teams have brought in tons of sponsors this year. You know, you've seen Coca-Cola come on board. They sponsored a couple teams. You know, there's a bunch of brands that are in this now that were not there a year ago. And it's because of these people who are behind it so much that, you know, they're saying, okay, well, I've got this other portion of my marketing portfolio that involves this esport thing, you know? So I, I think that all works. I, I think it's so much in its infancy that we're not, we're not negotiating and stealing sponsors from each other. And I don't think there's a need to do that. I think everyone understands that the, for the best interest of the sport, we're all there trying to just simply build this up and to simply get expose more people that exist so that hopefully more people pay attention. It validates it. And eventually, you know, what we always talk about is phase one of sim racing and esports was for the computer technology and the technology needed to actually drive to get to a level that it was cheap enough that the average consumer could do it. iRacing achieved that. All the uh, manufacturers of the sim racing equipment achieve that to where now you can, for a couple hundred bucks you can get into this. Um, phase two was to you know basically start to try and break that barrier of entry, which is creating a top series where these drivers can actually make money doing it and consider it actually a job and be professional about it. That's what we're, the phase we're in now. And then phase three will be actually bridging the gap, which is one of these, or maybe numerous of these drivers will actually transition to getting a real car. And if we can do that, we've effectively created a completely new pipeline for motorsport that just didn't exist years ago. And we talked about this the last time we, we talked iRacing here a year ago, in that I think you said like 10 years ago, it might've been like 10 grand was like the total purse money for like a season. Yeah. And that last year it was a hundred and something. Yeah. And, and this year it's 300,000. 300,000. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> for 20 drivers. So how close are we getting to a point where drivers can almost make a living off of this or have it be some sort of functional source of income? Uh, I, I think we're, we're close, um, you know, knowing what we're paying the drivers. And I think as a series and as a league, we've got to sort of figure that out and navigate that over the next year. I think there was 
this year it, we did a free agency that I don't think was in the best interest of the league going forward. Um, but I'd say that, you know, you'd be surprised what some of these drivers are, are going to make this year, especially off the prize money as well, especially the ones that finished in the top four. So um, I, I think we're in a good spot, but we as a, as a league need to figure that out because I, I think if we're smart, we can make that happen. If we're not smart, I could see us ending up with some of the same issues in real racing that we don't want to happen here. So I, I think that's that's some of the waters we're navigating right now, and it's it's so young that you know this is stuff that you don't figure out till you're in it. But one of the things I'll say is just never underestimate the lengths people will go to in competition. Right? That's always been a thing for, I've always known about racing, and and you know you see successful team owners and race teams who live or die by that theory which is just never underestimate the lengths they'll go never so. underestimate a meet and greet with michael jordan never underestimate nope, never the underestimate that one people today can spend half their lives over 50 so it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older like a family vacation or starting your dream business welcome to connie's coffee how may i help you AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. But the teams aren't at a point where you need sponsors. I mean, Valvoline helps you in terms of mm -hmm. being able to offer a little bit more for drivers, but you wouldn't necessarily need that corporate support at this point? Or is um, it, is it no, necessary? we kind of did because, yeah. you know, to be able to pay them the amount. And then we also hired a social media person. Uh, you know, we have – we're actually doing a bunch of different things because as, as teams, we – our job, as I said, is to market and grow the series. And then secondly, one of the things I really – have focused on a lot of what we do is that we are content creators. So our job not only is to promote, but in doing so, we've got to create content that people outside of the e-NASCAR world and outside maybe NASCAR might find interesting. And that's how we're going to bring new people in. So we, one of our biggest cost is trying to create better and better content. And we're all on a race to create more and more content and better content to elevate our followings, the following of the series, and for our drivers, and to hopefully, every, you know, a rising tide will raise all boats. In doing so, we're exposing it to more people. So there's inherent costs in that, right? And uh, that's a tough thing to do, and it, it's a it's a large undertaking. So uh, unlike, you know, real race teams have the problem of having to build a car and the engineering side of everything, but then they also have to run an arm of trying to market on social media. What I've learned about these eSport teams, some of the things I learned in uh, London, was that you know th these larger ones are opening offices around the world because they view their business model as the, the competition element is cool and it helps raise their profile, but their true business is content creation. 
they're content factories. And there's these larger ones that are opening up offices around the world so that 24-7, 365, they can be creating content that identifies with these gamers and with the eSport world and exposes new people to it and so that they can then go to companies and say, look, yeah, you're a part of this competition, but we also have this content that we're going to be generating around the world 24-7. So in that instance, it would make sense to have a full-time social media person like it's, you guys currently it's, do. It's a thing. Is so, that all platforms just putting out yeah, yeah, Instagram and videos and tweets? and You name whatever. it. It's, and it's about being innovative. And it's about you know being able to connect uh, with people that you know maybe are on the fringe of wanting to know what's going on or they're just – you know, sort of paying attention from the, or they're a NASCAR fan that's not paying attention to this, or they're a motorsports fan that's not paying attention to NASCAR, or they're a sports, an esports fan that's not paying attention to motorsports, so on and so forth. It's designed, you know, you've got to think about it in every single facet of who you're trying to go after and that sort of thing. So it's, uh, it's definitely a learning experience on my end, I won't lie. So it's been, it's been a huge undertaking, but I've enjoyed it a lot. So well, a lot of that obviously goes into driver promotion. And yes. I was struck today, like, going on the iRacing site and noticing how they did, like here are your 20 drivers in the series and they're treated like hero shots. Like it's, <laughs> it's not unlike what you would see if you were just walking around a, the cup garage and, and picking out hero cards from the back of haulers to get autographs on, except that a, a lot of them are, are kids and it looks a little bit weird to <laughs> have like teenagers treated like they're Kevin Harvick or Kyle Busch. Uh, and that actually br- brought up a little bit of controversy when NASCAR yeah. flew these guys in in January and they did a media day and then Denny saw them on Twitter and invited them out to lunch and there was kind of this social blowback of why are we treating, or why is NASCAR treating, why is the NASCAR industry treating uh, e-racers, you know, sim racers as like they're real drivers? So I, I got Denny's perspective on that. I'm interested in what the Parker Klugman perspective uh, is. Well, here's, so first of all, that was an interesting time and I was surprised to see the support for esports and for eNASCAR, you know, when that all went down and how many people were really behind it and saying, you know, this is a really cool thing. I, I think, you know, the way I look at that is the anger is misconstrued or misdirected because when I look at modified racing, dirt racing, this traditional grassroots motorsports, they've had 50 years, probably, most of some of these series or more, to have figured out a way to make those series more visible more people pay attention to do the right things, and yet for 50 years, no one's figured that out. And so when, you, when you're yelling at the newest thing on the block, why are you yelling at that when you, when you really should be directing your anger towards the people that have been running that for the last 50 years, whatever that series is, or whatever you're doing, who hasn't figured that out? You know, I look at the Chili Bowl, and I think, how is that not an event that has millions of viewers worldwide? Some of the, it's got Especially me, the, the, the names they have, the names that come now, everything, yeah. but I don't, I, I sit there and I go, that is an event that should just be a premier world-class valued event and spectator, uh, you know, situation. And yet I, you know, you have to go and find a stream or some channel and it's like, what's he, that's the old way, you know, right. we, you right. know, so when you look at what eNASCAR is doing, it's gone off a totally different model of saying, we're just going to bring it to you guys for as cheap as possible. But that's the idea behind this because it's trying to break a barrier for people who can never participate in the sport because the barrier for entry was so high. And that's from the driver's side to, you know, just be able to experience what those guys are going through at the top level because you can go get an Irish subscription right now and start racing and maybe try to do it. I, my thing is racing has always been hindered by this element of 
you know, a, a wall between getting in or not. And this right here, you can be 16 years old or 60 years old and be sitting on your couch and decide today, I want to try and make it to NASCAR. And if you're good enough, probably in a year and a half, you could get there. Right. Two years? I mean, that just doesn't exist anywhere else in motorsports for a very, very, very low cost compared – and almost nominal fee compared to what else in real racing. Right. So I, I just think that, you know, it, I get the anger. I get the uh, consternation, but I, I just think it's, it's misdirected. So no concern that they're being overpromoted – too much for what they're doing. I mean, I, like you said, if, if their races are attracting 180,000 viewers <laughs> on average, that's actually probably commensurate with that kind of level of national attention, I guess. Right? It, and that's the way I look at it. And I think, you know, the, the thing I always think about is, um, you know, adapt or die, right? Right. It, that's what Denny it's, said. Yeah. It, it's yeah. in the day or, or one of my favorite from uh, Bill France Jr. who said, you know, if either you're moving forward, or you're moving backwards, mm-hmm. right? I, I think, as a sport, we are in a very precarious position. Motorsports in general. This isn't just NASCAR. This is motorsports in general. We, as a sport, have to find ways to get more people involved and to be able to experience it and to be able to touch it. And this is allowing that to happen in a small scale. I, I think there's a long way to go from here. I think, you know, there's uh, you know a lot of uh, other avenues that will come about and other forms of racing that will have to build these same things but let e-nascar be the model for others to say look look what they did there let's let's do that so i I think it can only help you mentioned teenagers and ashton crowder is a teenager who beat a teenager garrett lowe and fontana so that was kind of amazing (laughs) in and of itself that you had these battle of teenagers in the second race of the year uh your other driver though logan clampett who is uh, how old would logan be is he 20 right now he's 20 (laughs) out of his teens into the 20s um he had a really tough night as you mentioned um and he went on twitter and wrote this really like confessional um (laughs) (laughs) it was it was hard to read almost uh he was obviously poor logan was disconsolate about his uh finish he a devastating p38 at fontana is what he called it what how do you and burton work as team owners when you're kind of coaching your drivers yeah. through things like that. I mean, it's obviously it's not the same as the real world, but in some ways I would think you've got to be moral support and cheerleaders and some hundred percent. Right? And I think, you know, what you have to understand is the time and commitment it takes to be at the level these guys are at. So they will practice hours upon hours upon hours every day, every single day leading up to that race. And when you add it up, they are treating this as a full-time job, if not more, right? So when it doesn't go right, it's just like real racing. When they're talking about building a car and, and you know, you spend all this time doing everything and it doesn't go right, you're devastated. That's the same thing here. It's, it's the same experience. You know, at least you're not wrenching it, but you are spending tons of time and commitment to try and be the best. And, and that's only getting harder as the stakes have risen in the series. It's becoming harder and harder to compete at the highest level. So I get the frustration. Um, you know, as, a, as an owner, the best I can do is reach out and say, hey, you know, I've been through this. I've been where you're at, you know, and, and compare it to real life and try to give them some semblance of uh, reassurance, you know, that, hey, this is what's going well. This is what you can take from it. This is how you put it behind you. These are the mental tricks to use. You know, that's the things I've gone through in my own career. And I, I think that's our, you know, it's part of our job there is to help them, you know, in that sense, become better drivers. So uh, I spent a lot of time with Logan and Ashton, you know, sim racing together and just have, doing that sort of thing and, and talking about my experiences in the real world and how they can learn from that. But at the end of the day, they're also young, 
right? right. And I don't know if I, I – what I've learned is that I, I wonder what I was like at their age because <laughs> – Sometimes I, I think they're far more intelligent than I was, and I was like, man, I must have been a real idiot. So <laughs> these guys, they're far above me. So I, uh, I'm always very impressed by the maturity level of them and, and uh, throughout the series. I mean, there's, you know, of the 40 drivers, it's an incredible group of talented individuals that dedicate tons of time and effort into this. Um, and I think they're, they're getting rewarded, but, um, you know, it's really cool to see that they're the stakes they're having to rise to or the, the level of commitment they're having to put into it to, to actually win. Yeah. A ton of commitment, ton of emotional cost <laughs> that, that yeah. goes into it. No question. Uh, last one for you. Just curious about Burton. You know, we, we talked about him before and how you made him a convert, convinced him to, to come into the team. Uh, how, how much do you guys work together on it or how, how involved is he? So every, no decisions made without him. Uh, you know, I think Jeff is, very much a uh, very interested in what's going on here and as interested as he was a year ago in terms of just saying like oh this I get it it's cool you know this is a cool thing that's happening um, understands that you know there's an opportunity here for motorsports to reach a different audience for motorsports to have a younger group of people involved at a competitive level um, that maybe wouldn't have the financial backing to do it in real life and I, I think you know that's the same reason Steve Tart's in it it's the same reason Denny Hamlin's in it you know we all see that this is just another form of giving back to a sport that we love, right? And trying to help this sport move forward. So he's involved far, you know, I think he, he's funny because he, we had a little meeting about a couple weeks ago and he was telling a story about uh, himself and some other drivers in the cup series back in the late nineties, early two thousands. And it applied so well to something we were going through with our team. <laughs> and I sat there and I thought, man, that is, that's cool. Like I actually thought, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Cause I was like, that's amazing that that experience from, NASCAR at that time applied so well to what was happening here and it just it almost in so many ways validated like you know what this is this is more serious than people know and it's more it relates more than people could ever rise to real racing life imitates arcade and arcade imitates life (laughs) all right well uh we wish you luck Uh, last time we had you on you 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 won a week later so yes we we can go win the next one set uh miami and then after that bristol coming up next yep and uh we're looking forward to it we want to go we want to go win the championship this year i think we can do it i think logan ashen are uh, at the top of their game right now and i think as a team we have a chance to go beat some big names i mean right now we're ahead of a formula one team many nascar team or two for one teams if you count Stuart haas as a Formula one team so uh one portion of it so i I think we're uh it's pretty cool to see our names there and and at the front the joe gibbs of (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> E-NASCAR iRacing. Parker Kligerman, thanks for being here. Appreciate it, bud. Thank you. Our thanks again to Parker Kligerman for joining us. Another great conversation with Parker. Always brings intelligence, knowledge, insight, humor. Parker's got it all, and we're glad he could be a guest here on the NASCAR NBC podcast. And you heard him mention that the next race in the iRacing Coca-Cola series is Tuesday, March 17th, which is the day that this episode is coming out. So if you're hearing this after it was just downloaded to whatever your device you're hearing it on, you should be able to go and check out tonight, Tuesday night, the iRacing Coca-Cola series, race number three of the 2020 season. Unfortunately, I know a lot of us are cooped up right now, so there's not probably a lot of other things maybe on your plate on a Tuesday night at home. So if you want to check out the iRacing Coca-Cola series that we just spent roughly 30 minutes talking about, you can go and check that out. If you go to iRacing.com, you'll be able to find links on how to watch those races live, and you'll also be able to find news 
the driver headshots, hero shots that I was talking about. You can see those on there. You can see the standings. You can see everything that we were just talking about at iRacing.com. So definitely recommend checking that out. In lieu, unfortunately, of having a lot of real-world NASCAR to follow right now, this for many is the next best thing. There were 23,000 people who apparently watched the Replacements 100 this past Sunday, uh, the hastily organized Replacements 100 esports race that took place at Atlanta Motor Speedway with the real world version of that race being postponed. So esports is pretty much what we've got for racing here in the next couple of months. So check out iRacing.com if you want to watch what we just talked about for 30 minutes. The NASCAR NBC podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. Please leave a rating and review that helps spread the word. And as always, if you have any feedback, you can send it to me on Twitter, at NateRyan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC podcast. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.